Let's be grateful. Thank you, Lord God. We're very, very thankful for the salvation you have given us in your Son, setting us apart from ourselves. We'd ask that we'd learn how that works, especially in this passage this morning, Lord, in your Son's name. Amen. Well, we're in the Gospel of St. Luke today, chapter 17. And uh, it's that section, of, uh, uh, you might say Wyatt was a nice inspiration because he always trying to get down here into the chancel. And it's the passage where it suffered the little children to come unto me. So I couldn't really, you know, kick him down the stairs or something like that. Because then I would have to apply the passage. But we'll get to that in a moment. That's a little later in the passage. One of the basic problems in Christendom, and you guys are members of Christendom, we trust you're Christians, but Christendom has a lot of people other than Christians in it, and a lot of folly, because it's not all the wisdom of God in what has gone on in Christendom for the last 2,000 years. And sometimes when we're reading the scriptures, we find our Lord saying things that we can't imagine how it can be even true. Guy was telling me about, uh, during the break, about this attitude he's trying to develop about not just assuming because the scriptures sound wrong to you at a moment, that they are wrong. <laughs> that, that, that little preference for yourself. You don't assume that you're right. When it sounds wrong, you might be the one wrong. But oddly enough, it's not merely, or not oddly enough, it's, it's all too evident, but in the history of the church, most of the problem, most of the problem is in how wrong our religion is. Not how bad our behavior is, so you're running around with bad girls, writing bad checks, and, you know, smoking cigarettes without filters. Stuff like that, you know, bad people, like playing cards. Maybe even sinning. You know, immorality, drunkenness, lying, whatever it is. We know that stuff. We know, okay, we know that Christianity, heck, every religion is probably to one degree or another against sin. But every religion, tragically, is for religion. You say, well, that's self-evident. Of course it's for religion. Of course, it's, uh, uh, it wants you to be into what it's about. Let's look at Luke 17, verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them, this is Christ, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, lo, here it is, or there, or for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. That's one of the most powerful short remarks that sets us, at least should set us in a wobbly position, put us off balance. Everything we do in our religion, everything we do in church, everything we do um, about spreading what Christianity is. At the end of the discussion of when the kingdom of God was coming, he lets you know where it is. The word is entos, which means inside. The kingdom of God is inside of you. 
But what's going on with the Pharisees about the kingdom of God and their expectation and what they are expecting or what many Christians want to expect is they want to see a kingdom of God show up. Right? As in uh, the, the, the growth of the All Souls Christian ministry until it grows, till there's all sorts of little white churches all over the land and they all have hymns requested from the audience and they all have donuts at break because that's our liturgy. Wouldn't it be great if all churches were just like our church? And that's what every church thinks. And every church wants to create their wisdom of religion in the world as the guiding narrative of Christianity. It seems noble. But Christ warns us about the kingdom of God being expected to be seen, arriving, showing up. And the reason is, the reason he gives that you shouldn't be deceived by that noise, is where it resides the way it shows up is going to be different than if it were a fabricated narrative, growing movement that everybody got into. In your life, with passage Colleen read, just very good for this thought about not live for yourself, but live for him who died and was raised for you. Your basic problem as a human being, and it's a basic problem, is you live for yourself. And as I have told you before, you're too dumb to run your own life. You're smart in some areas. Someone hired you for, to do something, and you, off you went and you did it, and they paid you a paycheck, and, and so you were smart enough to do that. It's like the, you know, the chimpanzees and the study things. You know, they're in a, a room, and then they figure out how to stack some blocks and get a banana. That's you. You stack the blocks, get the banana. But other times in your life, you're just throwing feces against the wall because you're an idiot. And that's what the world's full of, people running their own lives, living for themselves. And then people get religion. And a God shows up. They go, okay, all right, now we're getting down to business. They want to have God's kingdom. The Pharisees, these guys were sincere. These guys were more sincere than you. They were coming up with extra rules. And they want to know when the kingdom of God is. What you expect the kingdom of God to be on this decision, is it going to be a narrative that you see, or is it a narrative that you are? Much easier to try to see one, pick a famous teacher that you want to follow. You know, I like certain guys to read. Well, one. And how easy it would be to become a C.S. Lewis acolyte. Some of you like John Piper. Some like John MacArthur. Some like R.C. Sproul. Famous people. Billy Graham. John R. W. Stott. Great names. Great books. J.I. Packer. You'd like to be a part of that. Join the denomination. Be a part of the events that they are putting on and, 
and laboring to create. And you start to slowly move away from watching the inside of you to start watching the outside of you. Verse 22, and he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, lo, there, or lo, here, do not go, do not follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. So he's talking about the end. It's not going to be, you're going to have to decide which group to be in. When he shows up, it'll be obvious. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. One of the things that, and I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, when people think of successful ministries, um, people think of ministries that have positive responses to them. <laughs> Getting killed isn't. Just, uh, no, you're the teacher, you show up in Judea, and you start, and you are not only a good teacher, you're the best teacher that ever was. And not only are you the best teacher that ever was, you are God. Okay? So let's just say we're not really trying to decide whether or not he was, he was talented enough for this. They killed him. Because success in ministry is not by definition, a positive response to what you say. It is saying the right thing while you've lived the way that, that, that you are claiming, you've been not a hypocrite, and the person having to face it. What they decide after they face it is the success. Doesn't matter if they shake their fist at heaven, matters for them, but doesn't matter for success. Jesus Christ succeeded in getting killed by the Jews. He, it was planned. The Son of Man must be rejected by this generation. The narrative that we would write for the kingdom of God, just like the non-Christian one, which is the throwing the feces against the wall in the cage. The Christians, they designed this awful, oh, little saccharine, happy ending like a who wrote those Christian prairie books I have successfully blotted her name from my mind Jeanette Oak, oh yes that's Christianity dear heavens now I'm sure some people's lives were just like that Success isn't a happy ending, necessarily. Christianity isn't designed to have the group grow bigger and bigger. It's designed sometimes to be successful. It was successful in your lives. You believed. You came to Christ. You started, by your very belief, to begin the, the kingdom of God in the midst of you, within you. That's where you began. And only Christianity successfully is dragging you away. Let's say Christendom. 
wants you to go join. Now let's write the narrative of success. Because if I'm not at a big Christian concert at the Gorge, I don't feel that Jesus is true. You don't believe that. If you were the last person on earth, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you believe that Jesus is the Christ. He must suffer, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married, they were given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. What is the Lord saying here? The narrative on the outside world, right before the end, is going to be the whole world doing what the whole world always did. It's going to be getting up the next day and watching the Super Bowl. Assuming that the Super Bowl... I was a little concerned at the playoffs last week because we were watching TV at the Guyers and the signal went out. I don't know if you experienced that, but I thought maybe the ground had opened up under the stadium in Seattle and swallowed the whole thing. God decided to judge America at that moment. It came back on a little later. My fears were warrantless. But that's what it's going to be like. We would like to think it was going to be different. We'd like to think that we Christians are going to get down on the ground and we're going to be, we're going to be out there changing the world. The ch world is changed by the gospel. The Lord says that narrow is the way that leads to life and those that find it are few. Don't be writing stories for you to clasp your pudgy hands together and, and think that you're going to be part of a great movement for the kingdom that you can write, that God can write for you, that the professional Christians, like, you know, me, can write for you. Likewise, as, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built, but on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. They were doing everything normal. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let him who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down and take them away. And likewise, let him who is in the field not turn back. Now we're talking about the end. And I'm not going to be preaching a sermon about the end of the world or the end of this age that he's talking about here. I let you have your own eschatologies, your own frame of reference. Remember Lot's wife. Don't even turn back. She turned to a pillar of salt. Whoever seeks to gain his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will preserve it. Very obscure. I don't understand what kind of kingdom this is. But it's not the kind of kingdom that we would draft where we compete like Coke and Pepsi compete. It's no real competition, of course. Coca-Cola is far superior. It's like, what are the, the real, any real competitions out there? Anything? Yeah, you get people right. Yeah. The Broncos and the Seahawks. We are, or we have, joined a kingdom that isn't merely the rejection of your selfish kingdom as you tried to run your own life, the monkey in the cage. 
but it is also not the religious kingdom that the Pharisees would have you design. What's the, what's the kingdom look like? How's it going to get structured? Who's in charge here? How's the, what's the political atmosphere? How can we create a theocracy? How can we create this, that, or the other thing? How can we vote appropriately to bring all the right, you know, Protestants into power? I was telling somebody the other day that I fear that possibility. I'm a conservative Protestant. I wouldn't want the conservative Protestants in charge of anything. I'd probably be the first one to be burned. They do stuff like that. You give them power, bad things happen. But Christ is talking about a different kind of kingdom because he's saying, hold it, not only am I going to be rejected and killed, but whoever seeks to preserve his life is going to lose it, and he who loses his life will preserve it. I have this Matthew passage here on the side of the page. Matthew 10. Do not think I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. This is Jesus talking, by the way. You've heard of him, Messiah, God incarnate. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. This is not a real positive crisis that we're entering into. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. We want to have Christianity fix the world, just like the socialists want to have redistribution of wealth fix the world. We want to have Jesus fix our world so that everybody, you know, can walk down the street hand in hand with their family and visit the barbershop and do things like out of Ozzy and Harriet or leave it to Beaver or something like that. Somehow, if only our lives could be in black and white. If only, our, if only we could have that world back. But the Lord is bringing conflict. Now, there's a lot of homes in which that is a, there's a war going on. Kids are shaking their fist at their parents going, you can't be the boss of me. Can I have money for the car? Can I have the keys? You can't be the boss. Awful fights show up. But they are wars between the kingdom of self, you know, the young person, and the kingdom of self and the parents and the kingdom of the home trying to be run somehow with these competing authorities. Christ creates conflict as well, but his kingdom is not the kingdom of you yourself, the way you want to do it. But it's going to be a conflict because your king is going to say something different than their king. Sometimes people say, no, the family is more important, the family is not. Oh, you can, the battles that occur in the homes, they end up being, you know the concept of a Pyrrhic victory? Uh, Pyrrhus was an ancient general who invaded Italy, Greek, Greek general, and he won a battle near Tarentum, won, but it was called a Pyrrhic victory because he lost so many men in the winning that it wasn't worth winning. <laughs> That's what the phrase is used for. And that's what happens in your conflicts. 
When you yourself against the parents, they themselves against whatever, whatever, whatever. You don't have the battalions to win a war tidily, handily, for good. Only a Christian who finds himself set up against the powers of the, the rest of his life finds that even in his loss, even if he were to lose his life, he won. You will preserve it if you lose it. Lose it. Now that's the nature of this kingdom. This kingdom will call upon you to say things sometimes, and you can see it in our society now. That's why so many churches that want to change the culture are so active. They see it too. They want to rewrite the rules. They want to get back to a Christian nation like there ever was one. This might come a day when if I were to say that certain things were sin from the pulpit, and it can happen in Canada right now, I could be arrested for saying that certain things, and I won't say what those are, you can probably know, right? Certain things are sent. Well, that's hate speech. I understand that it is. But if you go to jail for it, Christ wins. The kingdom wins. Because look what it says. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. And you know, that's a popular rapture passage. You know, oh, wish we'd all been ready. A little thing on your dashboard. You know, if the car suddenly goes out of control, the driver may have been raptured or something like that. Big rapture passage. It's not a rapture passage. This is the kingdom of God we're talking about here. This is a kingdom of God where people get beat up. And it's not the non-Christians. Because the disciples go, oh, where, Lord? Where will they be taken? And he said to them, where the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. You just look at the sky, and there'll be the scavenger birds. You'll know where the bodies are. It's not a rapture passage. It just tells you where the dead are. Makes more sense now that he who loses his life will preserve it. Like our master, our kingdom is at war with everything else in this world. Because we have submitted not to ourselves, not to our nation, not to our family. We have submitted ourselves to God and it is within us. And sometimes... That's going to be a choice. And when it is, you will probably lose the fight. That's why so many Christians don't want to lose the fight. They want to create a march of 10,000, a million people to stop something from happening. When I do this, when I, when I re begin to realize that, that I really want to have the kind of kingdom that I can say, lo, here it is. Lo, there it is. Something that we could see, a narrative being written out, that we could all go follow it. Rather than knowing what Christ has done in me and being content with the success of being killed. The success. It's, it's not like, oh, gee, the martyrs, what a tragic, tragic defeat. Martyrs are not a tragic defeat. Jesus Christ wasn't a tragic defeat. St. Peter was not a tragic defeat. St. Paul was not a tragic defeat. All the other guys killed for the gospel of Jesus Christ were great victories. Because if you lose your life for his sake, you will find it. 
Because you find that you're not clinging to you. You're clinging to him. That's what the kingdom is like. Look at the next few, there are like three parables. Or kind of parable. One, one's kind of not a parable, an event. And he told them a parable, verse 1 of chapter 18, to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. <laughs> he said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor regarded man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Vindicate me against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will vindicate her, or she will wear me out by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God vindicate his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will vindicate them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's another huge, huge passage. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? But your kingdom within you, you just, you, you just all, you're about ready to sign up for this thing called Christianity because you really like the people and you thought, my gosh, this is you know, kind of peaceful American life. They have a church right downtown. It's close to the co-op. I can get lunch afterwards. How do I join this thing? Well, you don't get to join this thing. You know that. But these are the kind of warnings we need to put out. That it's not that kind of success we're looking for. We're looking to have Jesus Christ to success in us. Changing us from being for ourselves to being for him. To be, have our life governed by him. And we might not have the success, we might not have the success of, of success. We have the success of fulfilling what God wants. And then what are you left with? Well, all I can promise you is that you get beat up. Oh, man, I don't like this group. Oh, beat up or killed. I really don't like this group. Well, what are we, what are, those of us who really want to see Jesus, what are we wanting? What are we, what are we designing in this within us? We're designing a faith. We know that in our own sense of being wronged in this, God will vindicate. Because the person for whom God is within them, the kingdom within them, that's what they're part of, that's where they go for their, you might say, to have their, the losses avenged. It says, my brethren, never avenge yourself. For vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will tend to it. We believe that God will tend to it. Jesus Christ on the cross in 1 Peter, it says that, that he trusted to him who judges justly. He did not defend himself. We know that the kind of kingdom we belong to, internal, submissive to Jesus Christ, is at war with virtually everything else. And sometimes it will hurt you. Do you have the kind of kingdom that turns to your God for vindication? Doesn't turn to try to recreate how much power All Souls Christian Church has to get our way in this town. No. Do we turn to God? Because Christ is wondering how many people are going to be thinking this way. How many people are going to be operating by faith? Because when he comes, nevertheless, will he find faith on earth? 
Will anybody be there, standing there, with a heart filled with Christ? Not filled with an organized religion run by the pros. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What is the look of this kingdom you are in? How do you participate in it? When you get the professionals involved who like to publish books with their pictures on them, I'd probably have someone sit in for me in the photo session. Someone like Sean Connery. <laughs> Which I you know, kind of look. Or that guy on the Dosecki's commercial. Evan Wilson, theology's most interesting man. How did I get off on that? The professionals, right? You, you, we know what you think, the monkey in the cage, the feces against the wall. You're not, you say, ah, I don't want. So I, I'm going to be a good Christian. Where are the pros here? Who's going to tell me what to do? What to think, what to do, how to act, what group to belong to? Because when you want to present a list to God, like the Pharisee does, you want to get the list from the professionals. You know, they tell you how much, you know, I know some churches locally have it, the, the tithe percentage worked out. Now so you think it's 10%, it's 23.3% in those groups. Now you're lucky you're sitting in a church that doesn't, the pastor doesn't believe in the tithe, which is really hard on the ministry. So you still give money in spite of that. But nonetheless, we don't believe in those kind of percentages. But if you want a list of things to do, Things to believe, a catechism to chant back for your children, a confession to hold to, meetings to attend, things to tick off. How much did you fast? How much did you give? So that you can trot that out and say, see, I'm not as bad as that guy over there. Remember, this kingdom is within you, and the kind of kingdom it is is one of faith that turns to God for vindication, not earthly victories. Turns to God for vindication. This kind of person is humble before God. You know what you are. You know what you've done. Your your words before God are, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is called the Jesus Prayer, I think, by the Greek Orthodox. And they tragically have turned it into a thing like the Paternoster, where the monks chant these things back with their rosaries, going, Lord Jesus Christ, be merciful to me, a sinner. And it turns into a blah, 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 blah. I watched a few monks doing it, you know. Blah, 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 blah. 
They just turned it into another thing, another fasting, another... But really, you know where your heart is. You know the conceit of your self-absorption. And you know what it takes to get you on your knees. Literally on your knees. To repent of what you've done. Because he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's the nature of the kingdom we're in. It's not professional. It's not designed to win. It's not designed to be seen. It's designed to be and do. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. Well, understandably, Jesus was... I am not suggesting to you, this is not some sour grapes thing that, Evan, you have a small church and so you're talking about it like, you know, of course, this is the only way we can be godly. We'd love to have a few hundred people here. Well, 160, that's all we'll hold. Uh, and I don't want to do two services. We can run a, like a video thing to the basement. And for the smokers, the chapter house. <laughs> and get a lot of people out there smoking, drinking, listening to the sermon. Won't you be in there? I'll be in there, yeah. <laughs> um, what was I talking about? Oh. Jesus had a successful portions of his ministry. There were thousands there listening to him, right? Feeding the 5,000, you've heard of that? That's a big group of people with no amplification. So here's all these moms with their little kids, little babies, and the great rabbi. And again, I don't know how you picture Jesus. He looks like a good you know, Anglo-Saxon or whether you've got a slight Jewish tinge to him or whatever. Again, I like to picture him a little chubby. But they're bringing the babies to him. The infants, it says. And of course, the little theological upstarts of his disciples. Well, this isn't happening. Shouldn't be doing this. This is little disruptive children. Yet he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. What kind of mind is that? I remember being told as a child by some deacon, Southern Baptist Church in Maryland, to not run, for this was the house of God. <laughs> Baptist Church, like it was a temple. There are some people for whom the narrative that they're writing for their kingdom, it's all filled with restrictions, all filled with duties, all filled with tasks. And if you do all the tasks and duties and treat the right thing with the right degree of reverence, and, and uh, you wear a tie, whatever it is, you know, whatever it is, they'll, they'll be happy then. And they will rebuke you for doing anything differently. But the Lord says, called them to him, saying, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Wow. We've got people who turn to God for vindicate. First, they realize the kingdom is within, is inside them. It doesn't require an earthly narrative where success is written on the surface. What if you went through your whole life, living here, working in Moscow, 
part of a body of Christians that never had any great shakes to it and no great, you know, revivals. Or, but you just got together with the believers and served your Lord. Let's say you were lucky, nothing bad happened to you. You went to your grave, buried up on the hill out by Safeway. That sounds, that just doesn't sound very noble, does it? Out by the unemployment office. Let that be a symbol to you. Are you content with this great thing that Jesus has done that changes who you are? Doesn't change what the group's about. Doesn't, we, we end up being different as a group. But that's just collateral damage. The, the task of Jesus Christ on the cross is to change who you are, not to change who we are. And if he doesn't change who you are, we're just going to be faking it as we. If it's not in the midst of you, you're going to be getting into a group that looks religious and everybody else is probably faking it too. But there's something about children. Now, there's all sorts of ways of looking at this. Some people use it as an argument for infant baptism. Some people look at it as an argument for being, like, stupid. <laughs> because you short people, that's what you are currently. You're, like, not all there. Your parents love you. Some of you are cute. For to such. But you know it's something that religious people with the rod up their butt don't like. There's something about the way kids are. The childlikeness, the innocence, their ability to see the master in Jesus Christ. The other Gospels have that one section that talks about how he held them and blessed them. Where he's laid his hands on them and blessed them. It wasn't the little infant's faith. They didn't. They weren't making a walk of the aisle. Gee, I'm, I'm one. I believe. Yea, verily. Nor is it an argument for the authority of the parents to believe for the kids. He says it's the children who are such like. Not the parents of the children. It's the children who are like something. So... As you get, you know, this, in this passage, you get your sense of the kingdom shaken up a little. That success isn't always in pop, physical success of what we would define success for a group. The narrative does not have to be an external uh, numbers or positives or winning. It could involve you losing your life and still be a success. And on the contrary, what is it? Because that's the world we live in, that no matter what the world is going to go on doing what the world does, you are going to turn to God for your vindication. Your faith is in Him. Your faith isn't what kingdom you can create here. Your, your faith isn't, I believe in Jesus if things go good for me. And why can we say that? Because our vindication is in Him. He is not like the unrighteous judge. He will vindicate us speedily. We're also the kind of people that understand what has to be humbled. We have to be given to his blessing as a little child. 
given to his blessing, humbled in our own notion, trusting in him. I have this list at the bottom of the left-hand side about your kingdom choices. You have your own design. I came up with that monkey thing while I was preaching. I was generally thinking more of landscape design. What kind of... You've seen homes where it looks like somebody was, how shall we say this kindly, making their own choices. (laughs) And somehow they're standing there in the aisle of Hobby Lobby, just amazed. I can put one of those in my yard. It's made out of metal. And so off they go. Garden gnomes. And Jesus loves people with garden gnomes. I don't want you to misunderstand it. Jesus loves the Hobby Lobby Corporation. But, I'm sorry. When you're making your own choices, you make bad mistakes. So some of you say, well, I'm going to hire a professional. And because you've been reading things like modern home or traditional home, or you start learning phrases like shabby chic. May its name be blotted out. You start seeing what Martha Stewart could do with a photographer. You like a professional. They straighten everything out. I could have a, I could have a living room that looked just like that with the application of a few thousand dollars. And all its joy... We were talking about this at Droves yesterday, about trend colors. Oh, isn't it awful to buy a trend-colored couch? And two years later, your house looks so dated. So you had to buy another one. Because the professionals, right? You're living life according to people who know better than you. And it looks so nice in the magazine. And you know, in the magazine, I was telling somebody this last week, the pictures in the magazine never show you the futility of the world. They show you a world that's frozen, perfect. The air is still. There are no people in the picture. The rot that happens to any piece of furniture. The dust that settles in any room. They don't show you that. But the professionals, they will tell you what to do. They are the Pharisees. They are the theologians. They are the movements. You can go join that kind of kingdom of God if you want. You could stay away from your own kingdom by joining the professional kingdom. But those are answering things that actually the Lord doesn't ask you to do. Or you could say, I'm going to let the Lord design this. What does he say you're going to look like? Are you the kind of person that believes him when he says something? Do you, are you going to say, I'm going to prove him wrong, that when he comes, there's not going to be faith on earth. I am going to be that one believing. I am going to be one that is always humbled before my God for his mercy. I am going to wait for his blessing like a child. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful that your kingdom that you're making in us is the success of your Holy Spirit, the power of your Son's death, burial, and resurrection lived out in us, inside of us, not declared on billboards or flags or armies. Lord, we ask that you would build your kingdom solidly in each of us, that each person that knows each of us would be stunned by the peace that our serving your kingdom brings. Keep us from being silly Christians. In your son's name.
Amen.